At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Do you want to save money at the grocery store? Eat more organic, whole foods? Cultivate food security and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Kevin Van Ekren to talk about store-bought versus home-raised eggs. Kevin is not your typical farmer. He was a SWAT team logistics officer, started Fulcrum Tactical, a charity that specialized in training SWAT teams nationwide, and a couple of years ago, he started Fulcrum Investing, a venture capital fund investing in startups. He most recently started hosting a podcast called State of Logic, which has a planned release date of mid-2017 with a dual focus on both the startup world and topics that affect our world and not just from the business perspective. In the middle of all this, Kevin started Fulcrum Farms with just 28 chickens raised for personal use, which gave him 20 eggs per day. So of course, he started giving eggs away. And that is when restaurants and families started offering to buy them. To meet demand, he grew the operation to what is today 30 pigs, a few hundred quail, 100 ducks, 100 chickens, a few cows, and two goats named Thelma and Louise. They quickly learned that the best practice was to follow Joel Salatin's example and use the nitrogen cycle for their own benefit. Now, they keep most of their animals rotating consistently to give them new pasture to graze and allow the land that they just grazed to rest. Their biggest seller? 
are the eggs, and the reason is clear. There is a visual and taste difference between their eggs and those bought in the store. Welcome to the show today, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me on, Greg. Oh my gosh, absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Absolutely. One of the the big things that drove me down the road of of starting the farm was that I wanted to find a job that was that didn't feel like a job. And working outside with the animals is far more enjoyable than working in an office. So oh, yeah, it was kind no of kidding. my way to relax. Um but it was it was also an epic challenge because I did not grow up farming. So <laughs> the amount of information I had to consume right. and, and and implement was amazing. But now that we have it up and running, it's it's kind of just uh, a much more smooth and uh, enjoyable process. Great. So in your bio, it says you're not a typical farmer. You used to be on a SWAT team. Yes. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do as a kid and uh, then when I went to college mm-hmm. was study criminal justice. Mm-hmm. I wanted to understand the world better because I was kind of raised in a bubble. And so the best way I thought to learn about the world was to see it through the eyes of the police. Mm. And so I did one ride along fell in love with the concept. From there, I ended up doing over 10,000 hours with the police over eight years. Wow. And it was a great experience that really taught me what life is really like and not just kind of living in that bubble that I was raised in. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And then, so you went from that to starting a charity that specialized in training SWAT teams. That sounds interesting. It was it was a, a powerful experience for me. I had joined a SWAT team as a civilian, and I was I kept being asked by the guys that you know we need better equipment, and we and so we finally got grants and uh-huh. donations and everything else to buy that equipment, and then we saw the guys doing stupid things and not using the equipment properly, and it's not because they're stupid, but because in high stress situations, they revert to their training and they had not been trained to use that equipment. So then we got them training. And just two weeks later, we were involved in a use of deadly force situation Mm -hmm. where thankfully none of the officers were hurt and they weren't hurt because even though the suspect was shooting at them, they had used the proper tactics that they had been taught just two weeks earlier. Uh And that's when I realized that training was absolutely critical to reducing use of force and to bettering the, the relations between the police and the community. And so I set out to do that and I did that for six years. Wow. Once again, thanks. Any day you get to shoot stuff and blow stuff up and you get paid is a good day. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. Okay, so now we're transitioning and you started an investment firm, a venture capital firm. Tell us about that. Well, when I was running Fulcrum Tactical, the one thing I realized is that I had no training in tactics Mm -hmm. and yet I could run this company effectively and efficiently. So – why couldn't I do that with 20 or 30 other companies where I was giving advice to them? Mm. Why not diversify my time, my money, my effort across many different companies and therefore have maybe a, a better rate of return and, and reduce risk all at the same time while constantly learning new things? Yeah. It, it was kind of the perfect fit for me. Gotta love that. How's that worked? 
it's been amazing. Um, I've implemented a lot of the uh, things I've I've learned in my life about eliminating bias and uh, a, a lot of the 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 business strategies that I've used mm-hmm. to have success. I've implemented in my investments, and it's uh, it's gone very well. We're doing better than than most, and, and I'm very thankful for that. Wow. Wow, congratulations. How fun. I'm I myself am an entrepreneur. I've been self-employed for 41 years now. Uh, you know, basically my entire teenage to my adult life I've been responsible for making my own money and uh, I just have to say being an entrepreneur is fun and challenging and so it sounds like you've taken that uh, out and done it quite successfully. Well, I don't have 41 years of experience, and I certainly hope to one day. But that is awesome. That it, it's a great thing to be your own boss, isn't yeah. it? Oh yeah, and it's not like that every day, though. On those days when it's no, like, it is. Oh my God, I'm pulling my hair out. Why did I do this? <laughs> I, I was. That's what, what once a week, maybe. Oh right. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. But it's so worth it. Yeah, it is absolutely so worth it. So. From all of this, you, you've started a podcast called State of Logic, and it's going to be released sometime soon in 2017, and it's got a dual focus of business and, uh, you know, topics that affect our world. Say more about that because, uh, you know, you, you shared a little bit about that before we started, and it was like, wow, that's some good stories. Tell us about that. Sure. So I started uh, the State of Logic around an experience I had when I was on the SWAT team. Mm-hmm. So as I said, I was I was a civilian. We were at a training day, and I happened to have my German Shepherd with me, which is a just a, a pet. She's not a police dog. So we, we get called out. We go to a barricaded gunman. We get there. We surround the house and do our whole thing. An hour or two into it, I realize, okay, it's a hot day. The dog's been locked in the car with the AC on. Let me get her out, give her some water, let her go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So I do that, put her back in the car and go about my business. Six hours later, we finally breached the house and realized no one's there. He got out before we ever got there, uh-huh. which happens more times than I'd like to admit. Right. Then I went home. I didn't think much of it. Well, that night I flip on the news. They have a, an image of me pulling the dog out of the car, and the reporter is saying how they have sources inside the police department saying that there's a hostage situation and the hostage taker has explosives, which is why they brought in a bomb dog. Uh-oh. And there's an image of me pulling my German Shepherd out of the car. Uh-huh. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like they got that all wrong. But I'm 26 years old. I really don't – I'm not all that you know, uh, critical of the news at that point in my life. So right. I just all – that station finally get a hold of the executive producer for the for the nightly news mm-hmm. tell him what's going on and he literally laughs in my face and hangs up the phone and i thought this is ridiculous how is this what is going on and then i started started to make all the connections that i think most people are starting to make these days which is that the media doesn't care about telling us the truth they care about getting as many eyes on whatever story yeah. it is as possible so that they can make money mm-hmm. and i think that that's really harming our society yeah and so the state of logic, the entire concept is to question everything, mm-hmm. but not in a conspiratorial way. Just, you know, I want to present unique points of view from very intelligent and articulate people, uh-huh. far more art- articulate and intelligent than myself, so that people can go out and research and come to their own informed conclusions, whatever those are. Because if yeah. they disagree with us, they might be right, for all I know. Right. I just want to get to the truth. And I think that's the entire concept of the state of logic. Nice. Nice. So you're getting close to releasing your first episodes? Yeah, it should be out in the next week or two. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah, very exciting. 
So by the time y'all are listening to this, you can go to iTunes and look up State of Logic and you can listen to his first three episodes. Oh, it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Nice. Nice. So we're here to talk about farming, though. And so in the middle of all of this, you started a Fulcrum Farms with just 28, I'm Mm -hmm. assuming, hens. Did you have any roosters? I did not have roosters at that time. Okay. So you had 28 hens and you were using them for personal use. And obviously with 28 hens, you're going to have extra that you start sharing. Yep. And that went, when did you do that? So that was 2010. I bought 60 acres as an wow. investment property. That was at the kind of bottom in in the Illinois market of ag prices, right. ag land prices. Nice. And I was like, well, now, I, now I'm a redneck. I have land. <laughs> I may as well be even more of a redneck and have some chickens. Right. And it just grew from there. I had no idea. Wow. So And so now we are where we are. Yeah. Yeah. So where you are today is 30 pigs. A few hundred quail, a hundred ducks, a hundred chickens, a few cows, and two goats named Thelma and Louise. Tell us about Thelma and Louise. Are they pets? Yeah, Thelma and Louise are pets. So we uh, we, we were we were trying to look for unique protein sources for us and for our customers. Right. So one of the first things we got was goats, two mm. boar goats, and we just kind of we always try to start out small to make sure that we like the animals and the animals like us and we have everything down and all that because we want to give the all of our animals regardless of of whether we you know eat the meat or produce eggs or whatever they need to have the best life possible right and so Thelma and Louise we got them and they're basically dogs with hooves and they come <laughs> to their name and all that so they are will forever be just pets on our farm because yeah. they are way too personable and nice to be eaten right. um, but we also learned a valuable lesson Right. Uh, I am not a vegan or vegetarian. So Uh part of this is raising animals to be eaten. And I we had to come to the the realization that you cannot get all that close to animals that you are eventually going to eat. Oh, yes. Um, And it was kind of a separation that we had to go about because we love animals, Mm -hmm. all of us on the farm. Uh, That's why it was it was kind of one of those things we had to be careful about. Got it. So. We'll get to the eggs here in a minute. Let's talk about the process of actually raising these animals to butcher them. Because I, so I've I, my listeners know by now that I'm practicing veganism uh, for health, mostly for health reasons. And before that, so that it's been about seven months now. And before that, uh, I was uh, mostly a vegetarian, although I'd eat poultry three or four times a week. And so five years ago, I decided to raise a bunch. Uh, maybe 25 chicks from chick to plate. And so I went through that process of raising them and nurturing them. And then I butchered them and then I ate them. And it was quite the learning experience. I'm, I'm assuming there's been some of that going on for you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was raised in the suburbs, so Mm -hmm. I had never experienced any of this. I was never a hunter. Mm -hmm. So I had never killed an animal before owning a, a, a farm, uh-huh. and sometimes that is part of farming, unfortunately. Yeah, right. It was very difficult, to be completely honest with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, like you're talking about, veganism is what your body needs, and, right. and I completely support that. For me, I need a lot of protein. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I feel very weak, and I get sick more, and all that other stuff. Yeah. It's one of those things where it, that just isn't a, a feasible solution for me. Right. And – so I thought that if I'm going to 
if I'm going to eat meat, the best thing I can do is give them the best life possible yeah. and also know what they consumed so that what I know what I'm consuming. Mm-hmm. And and I've gained a, a, a tremendous amount of information out of that just because raising the chickens and quail and pig that we do in the way that we raise them has produced a far superior product to what you can buy in the store. And so now I'm beginning to understand more of why that's so important Yeah, to, to raise your own food. Right, exactly. So I'm assuming the pigs are for butchering. Absolutely. And probably the quail are as well, although you get quail eggs. We Yeah, we use them for both. Yeah. And do you do meat birds for chickens? Yes, we do. Or Oh, so you do meat birds as well. All right, cool. Yep. Yeah. I'll tell you what, after going through that process myself, I really know the value of a well-raised, you know, a well-raised animal. It, uh, you know, going through that process, it's, it's interesting. Let me put it that way. It is interesting. And and it's also so mind, mind bending almost Uh in the sense that uh, how we raise them in factory farms in comparison to how small small farmers like you and I raise them right. is so drastically different. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I think that's one of the big things we have to be cognizant about. Uh, and that that would be a piece of advice I would give some, one of our listeners out there is that and that is if you are going to eat meats and animal products and animal byproducts, make sure you know where they're coming from. Sure. Any thoughts on that? I have a, a belief that um, if you can afford to buy organic and all that, absolutely do it. But I also know that there's a lot of people out there that can't. Uh-huh. And so sometimes raising your own animals can be cheaper than buying. Yeah. And it's also, as you said, so informative to do that maybe just once so you understand. Mm-hmm. But well, it's it's important. And otherwise, you can always go to local farms like mine. Amen to that. <laughs> well, and <laughs> – You know, and when you're raising this, and this is is what I tell people all the time about their food, you know, their vegetables as well. When you're raising it, you know what's in it. Exactly. That's one of the things that I've discovered in my research in this whole plant-based diet thing is that one of the big problems with meat products is this notion of bioaccumulation. You know, the farther up the food chain, the more chemicals are bioaccumulated in the plants and then, you know, in the proteins. And then, and so by the time it gets to the top of the food chain, it's a much more polluted product. Sure. And by eliminating a lot of that, you have a, uh, a much higher quality product. Exactly. Well, great. Good for you for doing that. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. No, thank you. Yeah. So let's talk about the difference between your eggs and those eggs that we get in the store. Yeah, I think that a lot of people out there think it's if they go to Whole Foods and they buy a $9 dozen of eggs that's organic and mm-hmm. you know all that other stuff, they think it's it's vastly different from the eggs you can buy for 12 cents an egg or $3 a dozen or whatever it is right. from the shelf of Kroger. And the fact is that it really isn't all that different and they need to understand that. Wow. The FDA, the rules around uh, labeling eggs is just so ludicrous. And and that's been something that I've kind of been on a mission to inform people about uh-huh. because it, it scares me how poor – uh, nutrition the eggs are that we buy in the store mm-hmm. no matter how expensive they are 
because there are certain things that uh, organic and humanely raised and all those other things don't qualify for. And I think the biggest one there is uh, free range versus um, cage? cage free. Uh-huh. Oh, right. And so most people think that free range, you imagine – you know, a, a chicken on a hundred acres roaming free, eating bugs and grass, living its life. Right. And the fact is that the vast majority of egg laying chickens that are raised cage free and free range both never leave a enclosure house oh, wow. that they're raised in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that what's, what's basically going on is uh, under FDA rules, you only have to let a chicken out after they've started producing eggs, which is when they're six months old. Right. Well, Chickens are not the brightest animals in the world. Uh-huh. And so after six months of being in a house, you open a door to the outside, they won't go out that door. They're scared of it. And so you'll see oh, a two or three – yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing. So you'll see a three million bird house with a 10-foot by 10-foot fenced-off area outside and maybe one chicken out of that entire house will go outside. Oh, and that's a free-range chicken. And that's a free-range chicken that you're paying fifty to a dollar fifty more per dozen yeah. than cage-free. Well, that's bogus, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it's that kind of thing. But but I think it's also important that the consumers out there understand how to identify mm-hmm. a quality egg over a mass-produced egg. And that's kind of my hope. I'm I'm certain I don't produce enough eggs to you know sell to everyone by any stretch. I just want to inform the public so they can either raise their own chickens or mm-hmm. they can find a farmer to to uh, give them quality eggs. Mm-hmm. So Kevin, how do we identify a quality egg? Well, I think there's there's three things you have to look for. One is do you know and and can you inspect the area that that the chickens are kept that laid the egg? Oh. So if those animals have free range to inside and outside during the day, mm-hmm. if they are given plenty of access to water and food and a clean shelter, all those things are, are kind of things you, you need to look for. Make sure they're not being kept on the in the outside on mud and just barren dirt but grass Mm -hmm. and then number two is to crack the egg open and if you see a yellow yolk then that is a factory produced low nutrition egg that yolk needs to be bright orange Uh. and the white needs to stand up a lot not Mm -hmm. be very watery and the third is the taste once you taste a free range a real free range egg raised by a farmer that has a nice bright yolk mm-hmm. you're never going to want to go back to eating the the crap from the grocery store yeah so i get this questions occasionally i i only eat the eggs from our chickens here and it's been that way mostly for the past 15 years so i really don't i mean i know what my eggs taste like coming from our hens how do you explain to somebody the difference in taste? Because I, I can't even imagine doing that. Sure. It's one of the, the things that I've been kind of trying to get my, my head around as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've noticed is that there's a lot more texture to the egg. Mm. It's not just a very kind of watery, bland taste – or texture, I mean. But it's much more a, um, a thicker and airier – egg uh-huh. no matter how it's prepared yeah and the second thing is it just has a lot more flavor it has a lot more egg flavor mm-hmm. overall so are your eggs more nutrient dense maybe yeah th- there's several studies out there that have proven that eggs that are raised in 
the way we raise them, which mm-hmm. is out on pasture and all that, um, they often have one third less bad cholesterol, one third more good cholesterol. Wow. And they are far more nutrient rich. Yeah. And that shows up in the color and, you know, the, the nutrient value for our bodies, right? Absolutely. It does. Yeah. Well, cool. Cool. So you've been doing this now since 2010. Yes. Was there a moment since 2010 that you just stumbled across it and it was like, oh yeah, that's the reason I'm doing this. Yeah, that was about two years ago when I finally had all the right employees, which in my experience, employees have been the toughest thing to find. Mm. But then also understanding what the clear vision was for the next five, six, seven years. Mm -hmm. And uh, once we identified that clear vision and a path to get there, and we weren't scared of what was coming because we had experienced everything from raising cows to pigs to chickens to goats to you know everything else. Uh-huh. And we were finally just kind of settling into a groove that made sense for us. It, it was such a rewarding experience to have a summer where we weren't stressed, where we weren't trying to build something massive that we hadn't done before. It was all kind of routine. And that was the first time we got to really sit back, relax, and enjoy having a farm. Nice. It was was a great summer. Yeah. So you've actually set up this farm to run it as a business. Yes and no. We certainly do sell products that uh, I I know are very high quality, but uh, we will never make money. Really? Why not? Because we give we pay way too much for the highest quality feed, uh-huh. and we give the animals way too much space uh, and that kind of thing for for us to ever truly make money. But we're okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was never meant to make money. It was meant to provide the best life possible for our animals. Mm. Got it. I was going to ask you. That was going to be my next question. All right. Well, if if it's a non revenue bearing company, why run it? Right. And and. Honestly, it's because I love animals, yeah. and it's not fair for any animal to have a life that's not worth living. Yeah, wow. Wow, well said. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. One of the big things that I've already said was a big challenge for us was employees. <laughs> yeah. Finding employees that shared my values, and yet were willing to work on a farm, because working on a farm is hard work. Yeah. So I ended up using a company called the Culture Index for my farm, mm-hmm. and it's a psychological profile basically, and I was able to work with them to find the right employees to run my farm, mm-hmm. and ever since using that tool, it has vastly changed mm-hmm. how the farm works, but before that, we had people that we had to worry about stealing from us, we had people that just wouldn't work, we did. We have people that would leave you know, halfway through the first day because they didn't want to do this. I blame the millennial generation, but... <laughs> I think it comes with any generation that there are people that are you know, willing to go all out and there are people that aren't. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success? The biggest success on the farm has been our uh, management of our animals' lives, particularly our pigs' lives. Mm-hmm. Most people tend to put pigs in a very small area and just feed them grain until they get nice and fat and then they butcher them. Mm. And 
that is not how we raise our pigs. And it is a massive pain and it's a massive amount of cost to give them, you know, basically a half acre to an acre per pig. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that these are extremely intelligent animals yeah. and it is not fair to lock them in this small area and just have them constantly covered in mud and everything else yeah. when they can be out socializing and, you know, rooting up plants and living in a nice fresh pasture with a very clean, spacious indoor area for them to go into as well. Nice. So what drives you in all of this? The biggest driving factor is finding a small piece of heaven or building, I should say, a small piece of heaven uh-huh. here on earth. Uh, th- that's kind of what I see myself doing. And that's why we keep expanding and thoughtfully planning everything for our animals so that I can work and enjoy work, but it's much more physical and I'm not just sitting in an office and it makes me really think years out and years ahead. That's, th- those are all practices that apply to every business. It has tremendously helped me be more successful in other facets of my life. Yeah. Wow. How cool is that? How? How? And tell us about that. How is that? How is that reflected in the rest of your life? Sure. So the biggest thing that I'm realizing is that planning, you know, five, six, seven, even a, ten years out is is mandatory with a farm. You yeah. have to do it. Yet I wasn't doing that with my other businesses. I was kind of playing it in the two to three year space only. Uh-huh. And once I started planning 10 years out, I was all of a sudden able to see, have a much clearer vision of what needed to happen when. And I was able to kind of get ahead of the game instead of trying to catch up. And, and it's just, it's also just a very kind of everyone should be doing this always. And so it makes you feel more confident and at ease with yourself to know where you're going to be and how you're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah, this whole concept, interestingly, of planning 10 years out, you know, I I plan a couple of years out and I say, I tell people, if what you're doing today isn't going to make a difference in 100 years, you're not thinking big enough. But I hadn't hadn't thought until this moment, I hadn't thought about planning 10 years out. Makes perfect sense. And it would it would probably change your game a little bit, wouldn't it? Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah, absolutely. What does that look like? Well, for us, uh, it means that we have a set plan to expand every year. Mm-hmm. We It gives us time to do research, whereas before we were kind of like, aim, no, forget that. We're not going to do the research. We'll just get the gun. We'll shoot the gun, meaning we'll get the animal. Yeah. And then, oh, no, <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. Now we can go into it much more full force. So instead of starting with three pigs like we did, uh-huh. uh, if we had done the research and everything else, we could have started with 20 and gotten to the production size we wanted much, much uh, more quickly. Yeah. Wow. So Kindred's sitting here. Kindred's the uh, podcast editor that is here today. He just handed me a Confucius saying. It's like, I got to read this. If your plan is for one year, plant rice. If your plan is for 10 years, plant trees. If your plan is for 100 years, he actually says educate children here, but educate people. And it sounds to me like you're doing some of that educating. 
Yes, uh, that's and that's also why I do talks at schools, mm-hmm. bringing all the animals in and all that, so that they can understand how important it is to know where your food comes from. Yeah. But absolutely, education is part and parcel of every employee's job. And so I'm actually usually the one getting emails at two o'clock in the morning when an employee can't sleep, saying, "Hey, I look." I just found this new great breed of pig that we can get or whatever it is. Nice. Um, And that's how I know that I have wonderful employees that are always thinking about the farm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've got a couple of those, which is nice. They're totally in. So I'm all about education and I have to know, is there a book that's been influential for you in this process in your life? It actually has, and it doesn't have anything to do with farming, though I I would recommend Everyone check out the Joel Salatin works. He has several books out and that will all, you know, that will that will influence your farming practices to the umpteenth degree. But for me, uh, the big thing was Zero to One, written by Peter Thiel. And uh, the reason that it influenced me so much is because it taught me to think as far outside the box as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And because I was able to think outside the box, I now have a farm that no one else can compete with. Yeah. And so I can sell my products for a higher price because they are the highest quality possible. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? The biggest piece of advice I would like everyone to kind of implement in their lives is to question everything, to do your own research and come to an informed conclusion mm-hmm. where you know the facts that you've made that that, can, that allowed you to come to that conclusion were true. And I know it takes more time and more effort, but it's so worth it. Yeah. Especially in our world today with the interesting stuff that is going on everywhere and in politics and in the news and so on and so on. That's definitely an important thing. I definitely agree. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Kevin. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. Greg, thank you so much for having me on. I've been enjoying your podcast for a while, so it's an absolute pleasure to be a guest. Oh, nice. Nice. I love that when that happens. I love that. <laughs> so how can our listeners get a hold of you? They can reach me at Fulcrum Farm on Instagram or Fulcrum Investing on Twitter. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Fulcrum. That's F-U-L-C-R-U-M. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 
or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.